Welcome to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. I'm Josh Schneider-Weiler, and this month, I've been speaking with QPR Technical Director and Head of Coaching, Chris Ramsey. He started off by telling me about what his job entails. I deal with all of the technical program for all the teams outside the first team, because obviously the manager changes um, in, in football. It's usually 1.1 year, it changes. Uh, we've had our manager for nearly three years now, but so managers come with different different expectations. So my job is to make sure that the players are versatile enough to do, to be able to play for different managers. So I'm the technical director and head of coaching, which means that I work with the senior players and with the younger players in the evening as well. Just if we could look a little bit specifically at the head of coaching, you know, what, what does that entail? Uh, well, basically, it entails uh, helping to produce players, first and foremost, and helping to produce coaches that are able to produce players. That, that's the crux of it, really. So how do you go about doing that? What, what's your kind of method or your approach um, to doing that? Uh, well, basically, we, I brought philosophy in of development, which I've been working on for many a year before I came here, while I was at Tottenham and, and even before that which is a non-negotiable development philosophy. And then uh, try to make sure that the coaches follow that plan. Um, and then obviously the, our, our senior coaches are very good and they've followed the plan to the T. And um, so I trust them to get on with it. Um, and we discuss and uh, different methods of, of implementing the plan. And then we try to disseminate that plan throughout the academy from the under nines up. So... Um, that, that's basically how, how it goes, really. And what, what is that philosophy that you mentioned? It's uh, total football for development, basically. And um, there's, there's different parts to it, seven different parts to it. And, um, you know, we, we work on basically the individual because a lot of times, I mean, I worked in the States for a little while. Uh, well, for, for, a long, for a long while, I worked in the States and they, and I obviously worked here as well. And a lot of coaches I find are more interested in actually winning the game than actually developing mm. the players. So every coach wants to win the game and every player wants to win the game. But ultimately, what's the, what's the goal? If the goal is for the individuals to become professional footballers, it's very important that the performance uh, supersedes the actual result. So was that the case, you know, when you started coaching, uh, you know, 20 odd years ago? <laughs> <laughs> 30 odd years ago. No, I mean, I always um, thought that I probably could have been a better, better player myself had people had a more individualized program for me, myself. You know, I had some good coaches, but wasn't the programs weren't very individualized. And uh, each player is a cog in a team. And each cog has a job description that allows them to be in the team. And if you don't get those, those individual job descriptions right, the player fails. So does the team. So it's important to understand where, you, where you're at. Are you in, if you're working, say, for football in the community, there's a different um, level of expectation. So the expectation there is on fun, is, is uh, producing a program where the players want to come back in order just to, to have fun on a daily basis, but there's no outcome. 
there's no there's absolutely no outcome it's you know um i know you've been a teacher so it's sort of, it talks it's if you imagine a music teacher that that leaves the instruments on the on the side for the young kids to go and bash around and, and, and explore is one thing but if you actually want your son to or daughter to go to play in the philharmonic orchestra there's going to have to be some teaching that 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 is structured that allows them to be an expert at what they do so it's important to realize that you know academies are like schools you know at the end of the day you want your son or daughter to actually succeed in in the fact that they're coming there four days a week to to work on something that eventually you that they're hoping to be their profession now i want to focus on your kind of development of coaches because you know in preparation for this interview uh, we kind of reached out to some people who have worked underneath you uh, throughout the years. And there's just a lot of people who remark about how good you are at developing coaches. And before we get to kind of some of those people, you know, what is your kind of method or how do you approach developing not the, the, the young players, but the coaches who lead these young players? Well, each person has their personality. So it's important, one, to, to get them to understand about um, not, you know, sometimes you go on YouTube and you see these nice, clean, you know, pristine sessions that everybody thinks, oh, that's brilliant because it all goes right. And people don't realise that that might have taken six months to, to, to achieve. So it's, like, it's getting the coaches to understand that the process isn't always neat and tidy and each player is an individual. So having success to understand the players will help you to be a better coach, in, in my opinion. So trying to help the coaches to bring out their personality is important. And also trying to make a coaching team, because nowadays it's a coaching team, uh, to realise that one baton goes into another, gets into another runner who passes the baton on. So what you teach has to have a process to allow the next coach to be successful. And also to understand, to get the coaches to understand the player's zone of proximal development. So lots of times coaches try and, um, they try and work on the end product before they've gone through the process. And I find that when they find that working through the process gives them more confidence because they can understand the chunks easier than understanding the whole thing. And I think that gives people more confidence to, to understand how to coach, when to coach, who to coach, what the, what the individual player actually requires so getting the coaches to and, and a lot of the times i think people uh you know like what i was i was a coach educator for the fa and a lot of the times i got on with the coaches because at that stage as a coach educator it's not about my my idea it's about can i get them to teach their idea a lot of times uh, that's why a lot of pros get frustrated in coaching because they can't understand why people can't do what they can do mm. And, and playing and coaching is actually two different things. People think co playing helps because I think it puts libraries in your head of predicted movements, predicted patterns of play and stuff like that. I think it does do that. But we've also got to realise that, you know, even controlling the ball, there's a process to it that has to be broken down. And then the easier you can do that and the more succinctly you can do that, the more success you have. You know, teaching fundamentally, you know, comes down between, you know, the teacher making a connection with, you know, the young player in this example, you know, so yeah. how, how do you 
kind of educate coaches to make that connection or build that connection? Well, what we do is before there was a, not before, I mean, currently we talk about the four corners, but we tend to, and, and uh, Craig Simmons, who was at the FA, sort of evolved that, which was innovative and it was really good. And I worked a lot with Craig and what, what, what I've done is evolved that concept and I made it more in, into an egg shape. So on the outside, you have the psychosocial. If you can't connect with the players, whether it be any sort of connection, you're not going to be able to affect their behaviour. And then obviously in the middle, you have the technical, physical. People tend to separate the two. If anything technical is physical, so there has to be a, a regard for the load, a regard for the technique, a regard for the breakdown in actually with the ball contact or, or, or whatever, it, or the tactical um, understanding, whatever, whatever it may be. So basically what, what we try and do is, we, first of all, we, we try and ask the coaches to be aware of things, what the players watch on TV, that can create some sort of um, discussion um, or things like about their family, things about anything of, of interest. So it's not really only just about football. So you have to treat the player as a human being first. If you can get that connection, you've got a chance of affecting their, their behaviour on the pitch. So that's one of the main things that, that we deal with with uh, developing coaches is un making them understand that player is a person first and foremost. And I think if you can get that connection with the player, then you've got, you've got uh, a chance of affecting their behaviour. So when a, a new coach, you know, a player moves up you know, to another age group, that coach has to, you know, the first one of the first things he or she has to do is kind of ask about what things they watch on TV or ask about the families. Is that yeah. what, you, what you mean? Yeah. 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 Find out just really young ones. You find out what cartoons they're watching and then they'll tell you and they'll be happy to speak about it or find out about their favorite player, but anything that where it gives you an in with to, to, to that, to that player. And then that creates safe banter for you and the, the players. So for argument's sake, you know, you can actually pretend to support the worst team they're going to banter you about that. And now you've got a discussion, you know, anything like that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Um, you know, I, I mentioned that we had spoken to a couple people, you know, in preparation for this. I, I have a clip now from Manisha Taylor, who is your assistant um, head of coaching at QPR. Chris is a man with a lot of humility, and I don't think he quite realizes the extent of his superpowers in not just developing players, but people too. He has had great influence on the careers of many, and me included. If it wasn't for his level of empathy in understanding what it could be like for me as a woman and someone of South Asian heritage working within coaching in the professional game, someone who hasn't played the game as a pro and the challenges that would bring, I wouldn't have had the level of resilience that I think I do have now. If it wasn't for his firm but fair, no-nonsense approach, guidance and mentoring, I wouldn't be in the position that I am in now. I'm the only person of South Asian heritage and only woman to hold the role of assistant head of coaching because of Chris Ramsey. Some say that's extraordinary, and you know what? I'd have to agree. As a developer, he has a real knack for noticing when to probe, when to put an arm around you, and when to give you a warm ear. And if, believe me, I've had a fair few warm ears from him in my time over the years. Great leader and a great man who inspires me every day to work hard, take the time to learn my craft, and be the best possible version of myself. <laughs> I'm flattered. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, um, the project that started with Manisha starting as a, 
an under nines observer to where she's gone now. I mean, it's more on her than it is on me, to be honest. Okay, but I, I think her story is is quite illustrative, uh, you know, to a degree, um, in that you mentioned she started as an observer, but you know, she had no playing background. She didn't have a kind of a previous career in football coaching. Her career was actually in teaching. And yet you took a chance on her, as she said in, in the clip. So, so what do you look for in a youth coach? First and foremost, can they, can they teach or do they want to learn how to teach and develop people? And then I'd rather a coach that can be molded than someone with a lot of knowledge. So, you know, they're coming into a program where they, they have to integrate with different coaches. So they have to use the other coaches that are, that are experienced as libraries for them. Uh, but they have to be able to, to understand that we have a formula that has worked, you know, over a period of time. And it's not about them coming in to give us their ideas. It's about them coming in to fit into our ideas. And if they can help to polish what we're doing already, then we're happy but we're not really going to change what we're doing uh, to suit one person coming in. I'm not going to change 25 people um, who are on the right course, in my opinion, for us to suit one person. So generally we look at people that are prepared to be team players. I mean, team players within the, the coaches that we have and try to understand the philosophy that we're trying to put into place. And empathy is a very important for us with, with uh, the, the coaches um, and drive. Drive is important as well. So those two things are, are really, really important. Uh, empathy and drive and obviously the willingness to, to, to be open-minded to, to what they're being taught. Why is drive and empathy, you know, two of the core kind of pillars that you think are important? Well, empathy is important because most of the players are not finished, not finished articles. So we have to understand that when you're coaching, you are not coaching the £20 million players. You're coaching people at the beginning of their journey. So you have to understand that even the simplest of things, people people learn in different ways, don't they? They learn in a variety of different ways. So you have to try to always push them, try and see if you can push the right buttons. Now, drive is important because you have to drive the session, drive the players, be driven to want to learn. Uh, without that, I, I don't think you can take on board what which what we're trying to trying to uh, teach the players. And 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 within drive, I put ego in there because people think ego is a bad thing, but it depends where your ego is actually focused towards. So if your ego is how many players can you maintain in the building, how many players can you get a contract, you know, then you'll be driven to work hard to be patient to make yourself better, to help the players to become better. If your ego is, is pointing towards you want to coach the first team and you're going to coach the players like that, then obviously your ego is misguided in this in the development um, uh, arena. Now, we talked about how Manisha kind of comes from a teaching background, and I believe that you have a teaching qualification. Do you have a teaching qualification? Yeah, I've got, I've got a Bachelor of Education myself, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so do you feel like that helped you, you know, become a better coach? It did because what I learned about, uh, you know, from some of the theorists like Vizoski and Bruno and, you know, uh, 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 Tina Bruce and people like that, um, uh, Janet Moyles, you know, the excellence of play and stuff like that taught me a lot about, you know, breaking down topics, breaking down 
um, issues and, and, and helping players and coaches to, to chunk and scaffold sessions in order to, to make sure the players get to where they need to get to. Can you kind of talk a little bit about uh, a little bit more about that? You know, a lot of people listening, you know, might might be coaches and have backgrounds in football, but don't have backgrounds in teaching. Can you kind of just describe a little bit more what you mean there? Well, when you talk about zones of proximal development, I mean sometimes you have to quickly find out where the player needs coaching. So sometimes you don't have to teach them right from the from 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 the start. You might find that exactly. Uh, it, it, in any skill or any movement, there's a continuum. And, and the skill of the coach is to quickly find out on what part of that continuum the player is on. And you understand quickly what they knew, what they knew, what they bring to the party, what they already know. And then where, where they can get to with coaching and teaching. A lot of times what we do is we get to, we, we coach. We coach too far out of their comfort zone. So the player will never, ever reach, reach that level. So a lot of the times we scaffold sessions so we break down movements. So we, it, so we talk about uh, what any movements we do look at, we look at the mechanics of the movement. So can they actually, do they do an acroyf turn? Can they actually lift their hip? Can they actually turn it? Can they actually get the right part of the foot, the, the, the foot on the ball? What, what normally happens, people say, just do a acroyf turn. They won't, they won't look at, is the execution of that correct? So can they do that first? Then we look at, at, at distractions. So distraction might be somebody else in front of you doing it or someone else around you. So now you've got to you've got to be aware of the people around you. And then we look at progressive interference. So that's somebody actually trying to stop you doing the move. So that might not be at 100%. It might be at 50% and pro- progressively go out. And we do that for everything, whether it be a small-sided game or whether it be... So if we're, we're playing a small-sided game, we would want the the players to understand what the movements are that we want them to do, where they want to be, and then progressively um, distract them, and then and then and then go live. So, you know, they're 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 the sort of uh, things that we look at when we when we're we're trying to build up things. And we have we have different things in and out of possession. Uh, we have a glue that fits that puts all that together. So, if we look at the. Uh, four things in possession, four things out of possession and four things that, that bind them together. So, you know, so we look at, uh, you know, the, the, the overarching thing is obviously can a player score, make or stop goals? You know, generally, if, you, if you're not going to be doing one of those, then you're not really affecting the game. Now, you know, obviously people will say um, um, make or assist when obviously you can have maintaining possession is assisting as well, you know, so that's assisting the assister. But um, generally we look at that as the overarching sort of umbrella of what we're trying, what we're trying to do. Now th- th- those progressions um, that you mentioned, that kind of three-step progression, is that something you do for every technique at every, like at every training session or? Um... Depends on the zone of proximal development. So for argument's sake, if, if they can already do the skill, but they're not good at it or they're not, they're not the speed isn't there or the timing or the decision, then obviously that's on the interference part of it. So we have, we look at where they are and on, if, if they can't actually do it, then the zone of proximal development will be a step one. So we speak, because that's, they can't do it. If they can actually do it, they might be at step four or five. Now it's how, how do we manipulate that to be for them to, to, to use it in a game 
or to use it when it's needed. You know, we, we talked about earlier how, you know, you've had a really positive influence on a lot of coaches. You know, who were some of the coaches that you worked with when you were a younger coach that kind of developed or shaped who you became? Uh, Ricky Hill. Ricky Hill, I was his assistant at Luton. Dick Bate was massive for me, uh, who's at, at the FA. He's all, you know, he was a, a mentor, a massive mentor of mine. You know, I worked with Harry Wilkinson. I was his assistant at, at you know, um, Les Reed was there at the time, Martin Hunter, you know, people like that. Craig Simmons was outstanding, probably forgot more than I know about developing players. You know, I worked with the likes of, of uh, John McDermott, who, who's now leads the FA. And there's loads of people that I've worked with along the way. Perry Sutkin is at Tottenham now. You know, I worked with a lot of people along the way that I've used as as, as libraries, really. You know, to use them and and, and watch them and um, taking advice advice from them. You know, um, when I worked with um, you know another sort of post development for me was working with Tim Tim Sherwood and, and Les Ferdinand. You know, at at Tottenham, you know, you know that took took my coaching to another level. Um, obviously, working with the first team players, but it took took my coaching to an, to another another level. And there there are many people that you know that I've worked with that you know have influenced influenced John Steele. John Steele has been a massive influence on my philo- on on not on my philosophy of play, but the way to implement a philosophy. Um, I worked with him at Barnet, and and I you know realised that everything he did pertain to how they were going to play and what they were going to do. And um, it influenced me quite a lot. Uh, I'm not, obviously it, we have different styles of play, but the actual principle of living and breathing your philosophy, John still taught me a lot about that. Can you, can you give me an example? What, like, what did he show you um, that you still use today? Well, well, every training session he does must be, always links to the philosophy of how they play and he, he's very he's, he's, he's unshakable in how he thinks the game should be played every training session they do must 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 do that so a lot of times people do random training sessions that don't actually link to what they do on, on in the game so if you're playing a direct football where you're not playing through midfield people will train playing through midfield he's saying why am I doing that we're not doing that if we're doing a training session we're playing direct football, we're missing the midfield out. Or if this game we're playing through midfield, then we'll do it. Whatever whatever he did, he did in the way that will help will, will help the players succeed in the games. And um, and I took that sort of, um, with all the sessions design that we've got, we have to be able to see where that fits in on the pitch on a Saturday or Tuesday or whenever we play. We have to see where, why are we doing that? So a lot of lot of, a lot of things, a lot of things uh, like that, I took I took from him, and a lot of people will say, "Well, you know, you've been around the world, really, looking at different people, you know, and, and different countries." But I, as much as I, I've, I've learned a lot of things from going abroad, I learned a lot from from him, which is you know, has been great for me, really. Now, obviously, a lot of your your time came at Tottenham, uh, where you were uh, for around a decade. And you mentioned mm. working with Tim Sherwood and Les Ferdinand and Les is, uh, you know, at QPR. Mm. Um, but John McDermott, who you mentioned, is at the FA now. And, you know, he's someone that we don't often hear about. Do you have like a favorite John McDermott story? 
And I mean, I, I mean, to be honest with you, John and myself, when I lived in America, we always used to to talk because we had worked at the FA together at, mm. uh, at one stage. But I knew John before he even did that. When he was, uh, I met him in America actually through a friend of mine, and we always kept in contact. And cons- uh, we have completely different personalities, but we actually our ideas on football are almost exactly the same. We do so, so that's worked out. So it works out quite well. We've always had a, a, a good, good relationship. Um, and when when we went to Tottenham, you know, we'd the philosophy we'd put into place. We'd been talking about it for years before, you know, uh, about different sessions and different ways of doing things and understanding about the players' individual needs rather than the team's needs. Um, so. Going to work at Tottenham with John was just—it it wasn't even new, you know. We always, we knew what we had to what we had to put into place, and what sort of sessions that we needed to do, and it, it just worked really. We brought in people like Ricardo Munez, who's probably the best skills coach in the world, um, Alex Ingleford, who's at Liverpool, you know, and, and and obviously I brought in a few people like um, Danny Buck, Ozzy Abanji, who actually really just a chance meeting with him at uni actually got me to almost on the track to where I am because I met him at uni just just by chance and he got me to Orient and then from Orient the rest is history as regards um, my path my pathway and um, and then I brought him to QPR as well so he's been massive in, in connecting me and actually working with me as a disciple of, of, of the philosophy that we use you know it sounds like a just a terrific coaching staff that was there at Spurs at that time. You know, I want to talk about the coaching staff, you know, at QPR that you have right now, and not just coaching staff, but just staff in general. You know, Les Ferdinand, who we mentioned, uh, we've had on the pod before, and he's, you know, sporting director. We got Manisha Taylor, who we referenced already, Paul Hall, uh, B team manager, Micah Hyde, I, I mentioned to you before we started. Uh, recording. And there are many other coaches that many would classify as, you know, black and ethnic minorities in leadership roles. You know, what's it like working with so many people um, from black minority backgrounds and, you know, uh, such a diverse group? Well, we got Paul Hall, we got Paul, Paul Hall, uh, Micah Hyde, uh, Paul Furlon, um, Andy and Pete and Addy Bancola and that all these these people of not only good coaches, they've all played mm-hmm. and not just dipped their toe in, they're proper players that have played over a period of time. So from a from a playing point of view, I don't think you're gonna get many more experienced staff. And from a coaching point of view, they've all been coaching for the best part of a decade each or more so we've got a very we've got an experienced staff not only in coaching and in 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 playing and what we've developed here is the understanding of the individual programs that, that are important for for the players and the coaches i, I mean I'm, i might be biased but they are as good as you're going to get they get as good as you're going you're going to get there's there ain't there's not not in the ain't better coaches than them in the country now I'm not saying they're good coaches in the country, but they're, they're as good as they're as good as, the, as any other club's going to have. So we're very very fortunate that, to have that staff. And then we got some other coaches coming up, like Lee Banmuid, who's who's now working with as the link person between the 16s 
and 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 the seventeens. So, and the old the the experienced coaches are developing the younger coaches because they do the CBD now because I trust them that they that you know to the level that they that they are that they can develop the coaches as well. So, working with with the, that this group is is absolutely fantastic because you, you you know I don't have to when you first come in somewhere and you don't know people to the level that you know them now you're always hands-on all the time very very hands-on um whereas i'm less hands-on now um and i'm more oversee and assist so they, they they'll take the games and i'll assist the games now and again i'll take a game but when it comes to the sundays i'll i might take i might go and assist the under 12s coach or the under nines coach, or whoever it, whoever it might be. So, it's actually for me probably the, I've probably got the best job in football. Probably, probably got the best job in football. So, coach when I want and assist when I want. That's that's. I, I think that's. I don't think many people have got that. That sounds then, pretty good to me. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously, I go to all the first team games, so you do get your first team uh, nerve wracking Saturday afternoons. <laughs> But, you know, I mentioned how diverse your staff is. And, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like it's the most diverse staff um, in the country. You know, is that something that you're actively trying to do, you know, to appoint more, you know, black minority coaches? No, we just employ, we just don't not employ them. <laughs> so basically none of the coaches, all the coaches have deserved their, their spot. So if they didn't, they wouldn't be here. And if, if I had all white coaches then and they were good enough to do the job, then I would employ, employ them. The whole thing about the diversity isn't just about employing people because of them being a minority. It's employing, it's, it's giving everybody the same opportunity. And if, and if they happen to be from a minority, then they'll get the job. But what they won't do is not get the job because they're from a minority. So you know, we we won't say you know that you know it's a woman coach, it's a female coach, so she's not going to get the job. If she can do do the job, she's going to get it. Now I always look at if you have a chance to redress the balance, then redress it. But you can't redress it if the person isn't isn't competent, isn't competent. So we don't we don't we don't do that. I mean, believe it or not, I mean same as what Les Les would tell you. I've employed more white people than I've employed minorities but but it doesn't get highlighted because it's such a shock for people to see the diversity at the top end the fa has you know this inclusion scheme you know the elite coach placement program you know do you think that is a, a good solution um you know for the lack of opportunities that um you know minority coaches get or is is there another way to um to address um, some of those issues I don't think it's a good solution. I think this might be a necessary solution. Does that make sense? Because I think the fact that we have to do that, it, it means that there's a massive problem. The fact that we have to address the, in that way, because most people don't want to be getting jobs based on their, on their colour. They want to be getting jobs based on their ability. But the fact is, we, do, we all know that it's not a level playing field. So a good solution, no. A necessary solution, Probably, because how else are you? How else are you going to do it? Um, I, I know what you mean. So, did is that something you you felt 
like you faced when you were younger and breaking into the field um, yourself? What about getting jobs? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I must have because I would have been further along the line than I am now because I'm nearly 60. So, you know, and, and uh, so for me in, in the, the era that I played in, there were very, very few people, black coaches that have come th- from that era. If you think about it, uh, over, I would say over 55, how many black coaches are there? Uh, Chris Ewan, Terry Connor, me, probably Keith Kell. I don't know. He might be, he's probably over that there. Who else? Who else is there? None. Yeah. Four. Um. Four from our era. In senior positions, four. <laughs> so so on that on that note, you know, having such a diverse staff, you know, a lot of as we know, a lot of young footballers are are not white. Um, do you think that having coaches that maybe look like them or came from similar backgrounds, you know, do you think that impacts, you know, how they take on coaching? I think a lot of people look at the situation and think, why would I try to be a coach? When, when I was, when I was uh, first at the FA and I used to, we used to sometimes go and help uh, individuals to pass their badges, you know, go to their clubs and that. And the, some of the black players would say to me, well, look, you've probably got every badge at that time that's needed. You've got every badge, every situation. You've worked with all the England teams. Well, you're not getting a job. <laughs> what, what, what's the point of doing the badge? They would say that to me, actively, uh, openly say that to me. Well, why, why, you ain't got a job. You, why, you got a job at the FA. You ain't got a job at the football club. So why, are you, why would we bother taking the badge? And what did you say to them? You have to give it all the cliches, don't you? Hmm. Uh, you know, we have to have the badges. Otherwise, it's easier for people to not employ you when you're not qualified which is one of the reasons why lots of the qualifications I've done are not just for the fact of the learning during the qualification, but just so that when you're sitting in the interview room waiting to go in, that nobody can hold that, that that can't be held against you, that you're not, you're not qualified. Before, people used to say, oh, the black coaches, the black players haven't got their badges. That was a massive excuse to, to not give people jobs. But now, people have got their badges, have got this many, many co- uh, black and Asian coaches with qualifications and um, the status is still quote. You know, but you're, you're ushering, you know, uh, a kind of a change in that. Um, you know, we've mentioned some of the, the coaches that, that you've mentored and helped develop. But so to go, to go back, you know, to, to young players now, you know, who are in their young teens maybe or, or such, you know, do you think that having those leaders or role models you know may inspire them to become coaches or you know seeing uh people in in those positions might you know inspire them to take on leadership roles in the future you hope so you hope so but you also got to be aware that they're not stupid either Mm. you know and, and they can see people who who uh jump the line uh, they can see that other people are not jumping the line. So they're not stupid. Uh, I mean, the, the the thing is that nowadays, financially, people are so um, 
financially set the top people, do they actually need to put themselves through through that? In the old days, every footballer, unless they were really, really wealthy, looked at coaching as a, not a rite of passage, but looked at that's the next step in their life, so, so to speak. Um, whereas now people are thinking, well, do I need to put myself through that? You know, we look at um, someone like, say, Sol Campbell. Sol Campbell won everything, done everything, captain England, yet it had to take the Macclesfield job and then got the South End job. Paul Lintz had to take the Macclesfield job. So people will say, yeah, that's the right way to go, but that's not the right way for everybody to go, is it? Because obviously there's other people. And listen, I'm not, I'm not going against the people that have got the big jobs who've played for England and played for big clubs and got the jobs. I'm not going against them. I think that, you know, rightly so, they've done what they've done their due, they've done their badges and they've got the jobs. All we're, say, all we're saying is that people of colour want the same opportunity to be treated the same. They don't want to have to go to Macclesfield or respect to Macclesfield. I'm not putting them down because, you know, I'm saying that they, why can't they walk into a job in the Premier League or the Championship or anything like that? Why can't they walk straight from playing into that job? With the same qualifications and the same and the same uh, playing background. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're talking about like the Wayne Rooney, Lampard, right? Walked into kind of, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. Listen, and look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that that, that they shouldn't get those jobs. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that at all. I'm, I'm, I'm saying fair play to them. They've got that job. Those jobs that the owners have seen fit to give them their jobs. They've got their qualifications. I, I'm, I'm not saying that they shouldn't, they shouldn't get those jobs. All I'm saying is. Equally, equally, a black coach should get a job of that stature on their first job. If that's the if that's the going rate for top players, then the going rate should be equal across the board, shouldn't it? There's one more clip I wanted to share with you that we got from uh, Justin Cochran, who's a youth coach at Manchester United now, but he, you know, uh, used to work with you in the past. Uh, let me let me just play the the clip. Since I met Chris in 2009, it's clear to me that he's been a massive influence in my in my coaching career, without doubt, the most influential person. He's a mentor, he's a friend, and since walking into Tottenham Hotspur in the summer of 2009, he he's consistently spent time with me, guided me and helped direct me. So he's a coach educator, he's a coach developer, but he's, he's a people developer. He can develop people regardless whether you're a coach or a sports scientist or you're in medical or whatever, educator, any one of the multidisciplinary um, departments in a team, he knows about how to help that person become a developer. It goes a little bit longer, um, but I know you, you don't have all day. Um, but um, just, Justin's an outstanding. I mean, he's, he could be the best developer in the country. I mean, he's... He's outstanding, Justin. And you know what? Uh, Justin is indicative of what I was saying. Open-minded to understand that he has his own ideas, but to understand where he fitted in it within a team of coaching uh, and that you're not trying to to take someone's personality away because his personality is, is, is big and it's and it's and it's it's empathetic and and, and he knows. Uh, he feels what the players are feeling and he's a game understanding of what's required 
is is outstanding. So there is, if you look at say someone like him, he's got a fantastic job now, but he should easily be a manager. He should be a manager of of, of a football club. He's got his older qualifications. He's coached top level players. He's worked with the top um, players in the country working with the FA. So if you look at him, he's primed to actually be an assistant in a, in, in, in a formidable job or at least have his own job. Now, when I worked with Justin, Justin came in and to be fair, he came in and he was very open to, to, to what, we, what we wanted. And as a modern day coach, that's the type of coach that you want. Driven, empathetic, knowledgeable and ego is based on how many players he can produce for the game. You talk about his, you know, future career prospects, but you know, what are your f- future career goals? What do you want to do? Um, you still got a few years left, uh, hopefully a lot more than a few. Um, I have to be realistic. I'm going to be 60 at the end of the season. So the game spits you out. So you have to, so, you know, like we talk a lot about mental health now with people about retiring and seeing their way to the next part of their life and career and stuff like that. And at some stage you have to realize that, that, you know, if you're, if you're in the game, what this being my 44th or 43rd season in the game, you know, at some stage you, you, you're not going to be required by the game, whether you want to be or not, you're not going to be, whereas I last night with the, I don't know, under 11s I'm not going to be doing that forever to so being 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 with them you know on, on, on a uh, on a Thursday evening do you, do you understand sometimes you have to be honest about what's going to happen to you now obviously the way I've sort of um, overseen the program a little bit more maybe something that I would rather not rather do because I don't I like love coaching and I love being on the pitch but you have to understand that there's generation gaps and the older you get, the more the gen- more more the the under nines look at you as a granddad, you know, you know, and you have to look at it like that. And it's also when the under fifteen start looking at you as a granddad, <laughs> now you know that your the generation gap's too big for them to to really. I'm not saying that to respect you, but you have to be honest about where you sit in the game as as as, as regards as regards that. So. My, uh, um, I mean, and I've had, I had a few offers to be um, a technical director of uh, some countries where, where it just wasn't right at the time. But you know, obviously, QPR have been good to me, and I really love it here. I really love it here. I, f- I feel part of the furniture, um, and I know that's a dangerous thing because you're you're actually you you know, football has this funny way of slapping you in the face just when you feel comfortable, but. Um, my future prospects would be a similar job at QPR or overseeing a federation of some or of some sort or working with a federation. Fantastic. Well, I've, I've taken up a lot of your time, um, but it's been such a pleasure speaking with you uh, and we've touched on so many subjects. So thank you for taking the time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. And uh, hopefully it comes out well. And, um, and thanks a lot for, uh, for inviting me on the show. Thank you for listening to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. We'll be back next month with another episode. 
And next Tuesday, we're holding a youth development webinar featuring Per Mertersacker and Nick Cox, amongst others. There are still a few tickets left if you move fast. More details can be found on the website and on our social media channels. Hopefully, we'll see you there.